don't we love it when things don't go to plan? Hmm? Don't we love it? It really upsets us, you know. Can't get in the gates, can't park your car outside, have to walk to church. Eh? So how many complaints did you have? Anybody mumble underneath their breath this morning? Oh, I think you look very guilty. <laughs> and you even had to move your, even move your car afterwards to let someone out, didn't you? Oh, it's fun, isn't it? It's really fun. It's really fun. But in all these things, in all circumstances, God helps us, doesn't he? And it's just amazing. Now, I need to... Uh, it's good to see guests and visitors with us this morning, and I need to uh, just put you in the picture of, of what's happening this morning. Um, I'm the sort of preacher, and um, what, I, what I'm to do this morning is actually bring a message from the Bible. Um, but the message that I hope to bring, anyway... Um, because I, I must admit I've struggled with it quite a lot, um, with the title in particular in relation to the story in Exodus we're looking at. Um, in, um, we're looking at um, three chapters in Exodus this morning. I'm not going to read all through, all through the three chapters, but it's chapters 11, 12 and 13. Um, we're going to read little bits from each of those chapters uh, in a minute. Um, what we're looking at is also based, over these few weeks, it's based on a book with this title, Redemption. It's about God's great plan and work in the earth from the time of creation right to the time when he, 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 uh, he, he calls everything to order. In other words, in the meantime, he'll deal with the mess that's happening in our world. He's created history so that the many grand and terrible stories that are recorded in the Bible and outside of the Bible as well. But overall, God's in charge and he's overall and he has it in his hand. Um, I wouldn't blame you if you um, said that this world's out of control or I don't understand what's going on. And how, how can a God of love allow all this suffering that's going on in the world? Are they good questions and they're right questions and questions we need to address at some time? They're not able and I haven't got the time to address those questions. So <clears throat> we need to sort of focus on the positive, what God is doing and how he's doing it in the time that we have available to us this morning. God's great plan. So when we, this is a biblical word, redemption. And it's that God is doing something at great cost to himself, at great cost to himself, that will actually release people who want to be released and people who be transformed, who want to be transformed, and give people who want an eternity with him, he'll give that through what Jesus has done by coming into the world, going to the cross, dying, and being raised again from the dead. We have sung in our songs this morning that Jesus is coming again, and that's all part of the plan that God had. We had the hist history books tell us, and historians tell us that Jesus was a real person, that he came to earth, and he died, and he was raised, raised again from the death. He became alive even though he was killed as a matter of uh, a punishment. That was not God's plan. God had an overall plan, and it was all part of this word redemption that that was the costly part to God himself because Jesus being God's son, God gave him to give his life as a sacrifice to work out this, what we call, redemption. 
History will record ultimately what God has done will have been the best. And the title in the book today, <coughs> which we're looking at, is um, The Passover. At your worst, God gives his best. At your worst, God gives his best. Now we could look at that in, uh, in a sense of the whole world. Um, we might not fully appreciate that the world is actually in a mess. And the mess is not going to be solved by political arguments or reasoning. It's not going to be solved by governments. It's not going to be solved by good works, although that helps. It's not going to be solved by anything can man raise up to do. It will only be resolved by what Jesus did at the cross. Now, that might be a very sim simple thing to say, but in actual fact, that is how God is working it out. His great plan of redemption from beginning to end is worked out because Jesus came and because he gave his life. That's the, that is the core of the story. In the end, Jesus will be exalted, as we've been singing this morning, far above and beyond all. He will have seen to be the saviour of the world. He will be seen the king of kings and the lord of lords and he will reign ultimately supreme. And that will be the time when we're actually in his presence, if you want to be in his presence in the day to come, uh, to own that this great plan of redemption has been worked out by God in the best way that he can. You say, well, is that the best way? Why does God allow this suffering? Well, one reason is because God has given every person a free choice. He, God created man in his own image, You hear that? God created every person in his own image, so in a sense we are like God. And he gave to us superior, superior intelligence. He gave to us superiority because we were created in his image. So God who is superior is working with beings in the world who he's given superiority to. How is he going to work that out? Is he going to be... Is he going to be a dictator? Is he going to make people robots? Is he going to force people into doing things? No, he's not. He's, ultimately, God is working with people. And even though Jesus was God's son and he came, Jesus, as a person, related to God. And so Jesus was actually, God was actually working with a person. And that's why Jesus became the ultimate image bearer of God as a person. So, redemption, at your worst, God gives his best. And we're actually looking at um, the story this morning uh, about what the Bible calls the, the, the Exodus, the Passover and the Exodus, where the Israelites, where they were under a dictator, a very hard ruler, uh, in Egypt and uh, they were slaves, and um, God was going to pull them out of this situation at a great cost, and with miraculous signs, supernatural things happening, and he was going to take them from one position to another position. It's what the Bible calls the crossing of the Red Sea. That was miraculous, that was supernatural, 
as almost everything else was with God's dealings with his people. And so let's, um, let's read, begin to read about this in chapter 11 and the first few verses because God raised up a man called Moses and he was going to actually be the one he was going to work with. And he was going to lead these Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and he was going to lead them out of that land to a place which God had promised. Now, God's working with millions of people here. And um, he's working. So how do you sort that lot out? Well, ask Moses. He knew how difficult it was to do that. So let's read. So Moses goes to Pharaoh and he announces the last plague that's going to cause Pharaoh to let the people go. <clears throat> this is the last plague um, Exodus 11 verse 1 now the Lord said to Moses I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt after that he will let you go from here and when he does he will drive you out completely tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbours for articles of silver and gold the Lord made the Egyptians favourable disposed towards the people and Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. Just, just underline that, see how, how Moses was seen in Egypt, highly regarded. Verse 4, so Moses said, this is what the Lord says. And thankfully his life depended on that. This is what the Lord said. About midnight I will go throughout Egypt and every firstborn son in Egypt will die. Is this God's saying? Every firstborn in Egypt will die? Is this the God of love? Is this the God who's doing the best in his world? Just put your question mark over it, you know? From the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the slave girl who is at her handmill and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. Now notice this verse 7. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any man or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. There are many people who don't believe these stories, one thing or another, but I just want to present them to you this morning as God's word and, and true history, as it's recorded. And um, it, it, those verses do actually tell us about the supernatural work that God was about. So this work of redemption that God's about in the earth is, above all things, supernatural. It's something we can't explain. It's something that intellectuals can't work out. And it's something, it's something we need to believe. It's God's work, is his hand. Now for God to actually say to Moses, but among the Israelites not a dog will bark, you can imagine what they were doing. You can imagine the silence. And yet at this time, God was going to actually make a distinction between the Egyptians and the Israelites. Do you know what we have here today? as a church and as believers in Jesus Christ, that the Christian, the Christian faith, it's all beginning here. 
All right? Because out of the Israelitish nation came great men of God. But most of all, out of the Israelitish nation, Jesus was born. If you remember the story about the Samaritan woman, um, and uh, Jesus was at the well, and she met, he, he met this woman at the well, she did notice about Jesus, says, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. So Jesus came from that race. Not that that's specifically important, but what I'm saying is here, what you and I have this morning is being born here those many, many years ago. And when you think that, oh, God's just broken into time when Jesus came, that, don't have any of that. God has a plan, and he's working it out in history and in the earth. And what for? For me. For you. So that each person with an individual identity might come to know who he is and what he can do for them. So these supernatural things that are going on then are being worked out as well. I try to, I try to work out in my mind to, to try and present an overall plan of God's redemption. And I've used this picture before and, and people will know this is a tapestry. It's a tapestry of the... Uh, <coughs> yes, you've seen it, Sheila. Uh, before. Um, this is a tapestry, I think, of a scene uh, in the Thames Valley. Um, and um, each little dot is a cross stitch. Okay? Now, try to think about this picture. And um, in this picture, there are things going on which are unseen. You can't see the roots of the tree, you can't see the fish swimming in the water. You can't see beyond the sky, and there's lots of things you can't see. That just reminds us that what God is about in this world, we won't see it all. And there are things that are seen, and there are things that are unseen. The Bible tells us that. We try and condense it all to what we can understand in our own mind here. But God is greater than you. He's greater than me. And so in bringing Jesus into the world, he's actually bringing out things which are both seen and unseen. Roots, joy, Take the clouds, for example. Now, you see, the picture is made up of in individual dots. Now, <clears throat> which dot would you like to be? Which place would you like to be in? Would you like to be a, a, a person in the cloud? Would you like to be a person that makes up the boat? Or would you like all these cross stitches, I think, represent a person? Or would you like to be uh, a person on the bridge, in the bridge, as part of the bricks? Uh, would you like to be a person in the shade? Uh, would you like to be a person who's a leaf? And with each of those various aspects of this picture, we can probably identify what we might be. Now, if you were a cloud, for example, the clouds wear one minute and it's gone the next minute, isn't it? And um, Jesus said in his word, our life is like a vapour which comes into the world, it's there one minute and it's gone to the next. So that reminds us that actually, in a sense, we're here for a purpose. Now the cloud will bring rain and it will bring shade. And so if we came in, if we're just part in this world and we're actually blessing someone other, someone else, I mean, blessing someone else with our life, then that's good, isn't it? If we're part of the bridge and we're just there to help people cross over from one side uh, to the other, but what I have to say is that where God wants us, if we're in his plan, we're in the best place that God 
wants for us. But the usual thing is saying, I want to be there. So this other thing about God's great plan of redemption is to actually know where we are in God's purposes and know where we are in God's purposes. So there's lots of things going on in this picture. But um, if you take this picture to be what God has done for people, like if you're a true Christian this morning, if you know Jesus Christ as your saviour and you're part of God's universal church as well as part of his local church, that represents his overall universal church. Let's take that for a moment. Each stitch is a cross stitch and we're only there because of the cross. Now this picture could be made up of any, many, lots of other things. It could be a painted picture, but just for this morning, just for the sake of this, there's only one way to be God's, be part of God's eternal plan, and that's to know the power of Jesus' cross in our lives. So lots of things in this picture, and I'm just trying to, to convey what God's overall plan of redemption is like. We have difficulty answering a lot of the questions because we don't understand that God wants to bless the person next to you and beyond you and around you as well as you. And you say, why am I going through this? Why am I suffering? Why am I going through this hardship? We say that as Christians sometimes, don't we? And yet we're trying to reconcile that with saying, at your worst, God gives his best. I don't understand it, but it's true. I just want to help us to understand that in this world, God has not completed his plan yet. And so it's yet to be worked out. I just want to... There's a, there's a little story about a girl named Christine in this book. Um, Christine grew up lonely. Her brothers were much older and had moved out of the house before she was six. Her parents worked full-time and were often not at home. About this time, Christine connected with peers in school. Her family moved away. She had lived in seven states by junior high school. Christine struggled with missing her parents and often longed for her mother to come home to be with her. Yet even when her mother was present, she was unpredictable. She battled depression. And when she became overwhelmed, she lashed out, she lashed out and said terrible things to Christine and her brothers. Have you had parents who have said terrible things to you? Hurts, doesn't it? God knows. He's aware. And he can work it out. Once, Christine's brother, Jack, jammed a drawer in an antique dresser, and her mother snapped at Christine. If you do that again... But Mum, said Christine, it was Jack. I don't care. If you do that again, I'll send you both to the orphanage. Her mother raged. Even more confusing to Christine, moments after making such threats, her mum might gush, Sweetie, I love you. You are my reason for living. And over the, over the years, Christine's confusion grew into hatred, suspicion, contempt for her mother. How could she believe her mother loved her? And when Christine was seven, her father and brothers started exposing her regularly 
do violent, soft-core porn videos. And she's starting having nightmares, which turned into fantasies of being raped. At the age of 10, Christine found her brother's stash of alcohol and marijuana. She discovered that with these drugs, she could find some relief from her pain. The loneliness, rejection, and emotional and sexual confusion. And by age 12, she had a daily drug habit. Also at age 12, Christine found a new way to deal with her pain, cutting. She spent sleepless nights in her room crying and cutting her arms and chest. And she once carved no love into her arm. Sometimes she would cry outside her parents' bedroom door, hoping they would hear and come to comfort her. And by the age of 15, Christine had lost all hope and slipped into a severe episode of clinical depression, bedridden for nearly six months on medical leave from school and receiving regular medical and psychiatric treatment. She would go a week without eating, brushing her teeth, showering or dressing. In the midst of that depression, Christine left home to immerse herself in a drug lifestyle on the streets. At age 16, Christine was homeless. That's just the beginning of the story of Christine. God actually redeemed her from that situation and brought her out, learning how to forgive, how to love, how to stop harming herself. God redeemed her from that situation. That is just a powerful instance of how God works in people's lives. So, at Christine's worst, God was giving his best. And what was that? It was redeeming her, bit by bit, from the situation that was happening to her life. What was the power that was working in Christine's life? You know, when Jesus died, the cross speaks of death, but it gives life. Malcolm read from us this morning about when Jesus came into the world. And when Jesus came, he gave his life for us that we might live. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have eternal life. That's a core truth, isn't it, from the Bible. But it actually speaks that in the death of Jesus, there was life. The second thing about Jesus coming and giving his life was the blood that he shed. And you say, oh, see, I go to church, and you're talking about blood. This is one of those unseen things that I spoke about in the picture. It's a power, it's something that we see, but we don't fully understand. It's something that God did. When Jesus gave his life, it said that he, he bled. He bled to death. Well, he didn't bleed to die, but a soldier with a spear pierced his side, and out came blood and water. And the sign of the water was a sign that all the blood had left his body. Now you say, well, that's just a physical, medical thing. It isn't just a physical thing that happened to Jesus. It was a spiritual thing. It was an unseen thing. Because later on, a Bible writer says this, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. 
If we read on in that story, we would read about the Passover. And these people, in order to be set free from Egypt, God said, again, that they should take a lamb and that they should kill the firstborn lamb and the blood from that lamb should be painted on the lintels, the lintel of the door and the side posts when the angel of death came through the land. This is when God was going to fulfill this final, I don't think it's a plague really, is it? It's actually God's act of judgment. The others were plagues, but this is God's direct hand in causing people to die. It's difficult to reconcile these things, but this is God's work in the earth. And so the Passover was a time when once they had killed this lamb and put the blood on the doorposts, and this was the key phrase in that story, God said to the Israelites, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. In other words, when I see the blood, you will know protection from the angel who's going through the land. You will know protection. You will know protection. And so in a sense, you see, the blood is important. And then going back to Christine, I said about the, the death brings life. The blood brings power. The blood brings power. Okay. In God's manifesto, in God's mind, in God's heart, in God's work, the blood is all important and is the only thing is the only thing that can actually protect us in the day to come when we have to stand before God. It's the only thing that will stand as a surety. As a surety, it's the only price that God has accepted. It's the only price that can be paid for you and for me to be accepted by God. We used to sing the song, the price is paid. Now, that word redemption includes the cost, a price that has been paid. And continually, God is working, is paying the price for you and for me, even though it's already been paid by Jesus. And although I don't understand it, I have to say to you this morning, the blood of Jesus Christ, it's not, you can't compare it with anything else. It is the best. I have to say it's the best because it's the only thing that stands for my surety before God. The blood, the price has been paid. Thankfully, as I said, Christine was redeemed from her situation. And she ended up praising God for all his goodness. That's wonderful, isn't it? If you turn to chapter 13, verse 17, the story moves on now. And because of all the firstborn of, of, in a family and of cattle and everything, because the firstborn had died, God had actually killed them, and removed them from life because Pharaoh was rebelling against God and standing against him and refusing. You know what Pharaoh said? He said, who is God 
that I should obey his voice? Who is God that I should obey his voice? Now that was just a record of history, but it could actually be happening in this room this morning. You say, well, who is God that I should obey his voice? <laughs> Moses obeyed his voice. This is what the Lord says. So I have to say this morning, in life, in this whole life, in your life, in our world, what God says is best. What God says is best. Now, when I was growing up, um, I used to regularly, as a young child, sing songs, not understanding what they mean, but I thought songs like this. Redemption, oh wonderful story, glad message for you and for me. The story of God's redemption in this earth, his work in the earth, is an amazing story. Don't forget that. Even if you just, if you just believe that this morning, it is an amazing story. That is good. Now, as time went on, I used to face disappointments in my life, as all of us do. We all face disappointments. And sort of being in a Christian community, I'd regularly get the answer, uh, if I had something disappointing, well, God knows best. Well, God knows best. You just don't want to accept that sort of thing, do you? Especially as a young person, God knows best. And um, so like time went on, and you kept on hearing these sort of phrases going on. Well, God's got something better for you. God's got something better for you. There's another phrase I regularly heard. And you might have heard those, or you might not have heard those things. But I just want to say this morning, wherever you are here this morning, actually, God's got something better for you. That's the story of redemption. God's got something more, better, improved, advanced, better for you this morning. And it's only through knowing Jesus Christ as Saviour that we can find this miraculous provision for our lives. It's only through knowing Jesus we can find this miraculous position. Right, so Exodus 13 and verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go... God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. Have you thought, would you like to have a quick way to solve all problems quickly? We, we might do, but God has sometimes take us the long way round, and sometimes the long way round is the best way round. Why? Because in the process we learn something tremendous. We learn an improvement, we learn advancement, we experience more of God, and we come to know him better. And so sometimes he takes the long way round. Middle of verse 17. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. I don't know when you became a Christian, but if you have become a Christian, one of the things that will more likely happen to you is you'll want to go back to where you were before. You'll start saying to yourself, what a stupid thing I've done. Is this right? Because that is a force of evil coming against you when you've done something spiritual. Okay? You stood for God, you've accepted Jesus Christ, and you'll want to go back at some stage. You'll say, it's not worth it. I'd rather get back to my life of living it up and whatever, whatever satisfies me. Verse 18, so God led the people around by the desert road towards the Red Sea. 
And the Israelites went up out of Egypt, armed for battle. You know, when we become Christians, it's not a soppy thing that God does in our lives. One of the first things we're introduced to is we're armed for battle. That's another reason why we have to say that God's plan of redemption is the best, even though we have battles in life. We'll be battling against illness, we'll be battling against difficulties, we'll be battling against all sorts of things because we're living in a fallen world. It won't always be like that. Okay? It won't always be like that. And why are we armed for battle? We are armed for battle because we have an enemy. And I tell you this morning, each one of you, that you've got an enemy as well as a God who loves you. So when we become Christians, when we accept Jesus Christ, our Savior, we're actually moving from one side to the other side. So if we're on God's side, he's going to equip us for battle. But it's going to be the best battle because we're actually fighting against God's enemy too, along with him. We're standing against the wiles, as Paul said, we're standing against the wiles of the devil. It's a battle. Now don't forget that, because your life as a Christian won't be easy peasy. It won't be very nice. Although it's the best life, it's going to be a battle the whole way through, right till the very end. Even though we experience wonderful things in between. Verse 19, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry up my bones up with you from this place. Joseph had said, you remember we looked about Joseph a little while ago? Joseph said earlier on in the history of these people, God will come to your aid. Do you believe that? God will come to your aid. And because they believed it, they took up the bones of Joseph and carried them with him when they moved off out of this land of Egypt. Joseph had died. He'd been a good man. Verse 20, after leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. And by day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night, in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Now, this morning I woke up really struggling with this sermon and struggling how God would work it out. And I don't look at these calendars that Margaret has on the wall, reading a little verse every day. But there's no verses on, well, there's a verse on this one. And this is what he said right along the top. The Lord says, oh, is he speaking again? The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Now, how amazing was that? It fitted in right in with where we were this morning. Do you want to write it down? Psalm 32, verse 8. It doesn't actually say that in the New International Version. I don't know what version it's from. It doesn't say here. 
but I thought they were wonderful words. The Lord says, when God speaks, he means it, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Do you want to accept that as a promise this morning? As part of God's redemptive work in your life, taking you from one place to another? This little story is called Three Margarets. <coughs> Three Margarets stood trial on April the 13th, 1685. It was a long time ago. Ready to suffer for their faith in Christ. They were Scottish covenanters and their crime consisted chiefly of attending field meetings and unauthorised preaching services on the highlands. They were declared guilty and the prosecutor demanded they kneel to receive sentence. And when the women refused, they were brutally showed to the, shoved to the floor. Margaret McLachlan, a widow, of, a widow of 70, was to die by drowning. Margaret Wilson, an 18-year-old farmer's daughter, would also drown. Margaret Maxwell, a 20-year-old maid, was sentenced to be flogged. Maxwell was publicly whipped three days successively and she lived to talk about it to old age. The other two Margarets were taken to an abysmal inlet by the sea and tied to long wooden stakes. There the advancing surf climbed their bodies in fits and jerks, rising to their waists, to their necks, then to their faces. The older Margaret, tied further out, uttered nothing but quiet prayers to God. Her body struggled in the chilling tide and went limp. And the soldiers yelled to Margaret Wilson, Don't you see her? Won't you recant? No, she shouted. I do not see her. I see only Jesus Christ. And then she began singing the Scottish version of Psalm 25, 8 and 9, asking God to guide her to himself to make his path known. God, good and upright is he. The way he'll sinners show, the meek in judgment, he will guide and make his path to know. Then as the sea filled her lungs and swept over her head, the 18-year-old uttered her last ten words. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Being part of God's family, knowing Jesus Christ as Saviour is the best, the greatest thing on earth that you could ever have. All else will fail. That's God's great plan and story of redemption this morning. He will work it out. What I've said this morning is nothing we can actually rationalise. But it's God's work, his purpose. And if we come to know Jesus Christ personally for ourselves as saviour, He'll work it out for you. He'll do it for you. Whatever we might experience in this life. I just hope God will help us just to not try and rationalise it, but know that with him all things are possible. I just want to close with this verse. And it's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 
well, one of the early chapters in 2 Corinthians. It's talking about Christians um, moving from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. Can I say to you that those three Margarets move from one degree of glory to another degree of glory? I was going to speak this morning on the transition from one degree of glory to another. God has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Both any move we make from one degree of glory to another degree of glory is a miraculous provision and a miraculous position and God will do it. He will work it out. And that is the life of a Christian. That is the life of a believer. Although in battle, he will move us from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. How great is his work. So let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you so much. Father, there are some things which weigh quite heavy upon us when we read the story of the three Margarets. But it was all worthwhile for them. And if it was worthwhile, it must be the best. And so we thank you this morning. Father, help us to take seriously our lives as Christians, as believers. Help us to take seriously the road ahead of us. Help us to take seriously what Jesus has done for us. Help us to build our lives into his life that our feet might be set upon a rock, that we might know your peace, your love, and your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.